you know, the timelines that we were given, uh, he's, he's on track for, which is, is sort of the middle of this month, uh, to get him back into more full involvement and then making a determination for, for his status for games from there. So we're just kind of taking it uh, a day at a time as we work towards that. But he's not, at this point, he's, in, he's, he's not anywhere close to us uh, considering him for game action. It's more so ramping up uh, towards full particip participation in practice and then making a determination on his, uh, his plan from there. Ben Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. So that was Sheldon Keith yesterday. Give us an update on Joseph Wall. I did feel like, especially considering that Joe Wall made the trip with the Leafs to Western Canada. Yep. And I know he wasn't practicing, but he mm -hmm. got to fly in the big plane. Um, yep. That maybe we were getting closer, and certainly the you know the week off of the All-Star break, I thought, oh, mm. well, it's, it's very much within the realm of possibility that we see, uh, see Joe Wall in February, and I guess it, it still is possible, even from those comments. Uh, Leafs next back-to-back, -back, February 21st, 22nd, in Arizona, in Vegas. Um, I guess it's conceivable he's back for those games, but it doesn't sound like it, uh, yeah. the way it's been messaged. No, I think that from not from the outset, I think obviously you put a rough timeline on something like this. But as we crept closer and closer to that return, and you know, I suppose to some people it's sending mixed signals. I, I felt like if you read the tea leaves of what the team, what people around the team were saying, it's that, yeah, all-star break, but not right after it. It, it just seems like I, and it, it, they want to be extremely cautious with Joe Wall, and I would take the exact same Tact. I mean, Samsonov has found his footing. I don't know to exact what extent, but he's found some ability to stand and hold ground in the NHL that you don't need to rush this guy back. And I think there is still, you know, we, me, you and I have quibbled about the percentages of who's going to play game one. I think there's a very good chance Joe Wall was the guy that plays game one for this team. And if you think that's the case, you can't rush him back until he's 100% ready, especially a guy who's had the injury history he's had. So, yeah, I don't think it's a guarantee he gets back for those games, but I also think that given what you've seen out of Samsonov, and I don't want to overstate what that's been, but it's been enough yeah. that I think you need to be careful. And be, But it's also because what you've seen out of Samsonov, that it's been just good enough that you you still are going to need Joe Walsh. You can't rush him back mm. and risk losing him is the way I look at it. Yeah, so ideally for the Maple Leafs, I think this was the plan. Joe Wall, and you know what? As, as disappointing as it was to see Ilya Samsonov stub his toe like right out of the gates, first two games were not great. Despite the, the team's success in those games, he, he stubbed his toe. He did not look mm -hmm. like the guy that was the better goaltender of the two between he and Andre Vasilevsky through six games in the postseason. He was not able to carry that over into the regular season. But And while that stunk, it was kind of allowing things to kind of fall into place perfectly it seemed for the mm -hmm. Leafs that the guy who is under contract for less than a million bucks next season, who is the future of the position for you emerging as the number one, we know, we know what happened there. Like Joe wall was having his best game of the season when he goes down with the high ankle sprain. Now he's on the shelf and now Ilya Samsonov has resurrected his season to the, you're right. Like not to the degree of which we're having like, Oh, if there was a Vesna award for the second half of the season, maybe he'd be in the mix. And again, I think if you want to point to one of the reasons why the Leafs didn't win the, the hockey game yesterday, it's no egregious goals, but like they got out goaltended yep. uh, against a, a team that has one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League. The way it's evolved now, though, is to the point that, okay, you're right. 
like Joe Wall could come back and he could be dominant and he could get in enough games that he emerges as the game one starter in the postseason. But the more this plays out, the more we hear like these tepid remarks about Joe Wall's pending return, when that could be. And we're talking about, oh, maybe a mid-February return to practice. And you're right to point out the guy's injury history. Mm -hmm. And especially considering that specific injury, everything we've heard about like high ankle sprains for goaltenders, not exactly something that you come immediately back from and something that, you know, you're immediate or that you're, you know, it's going to be an issue, I think, that the Maple Leafs are going to monitor the entirety of this season for Joe Wall. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Like the, the idea of Joe Wall emerging as the number one for this team this season and then feeling totally comfortable about watching Ilya Samsonov departed in free agency this offseason and then getting a, okay, nobody's like a pure number one mm -hmm. and like number two, I, but like, yeah, having a 1A mm -hmm. of Joe Wall and somebody well below him in the pecking order next season was very in the realm of possibility. I feel like the longer this plays out and the smaller sample we get of Joe Wall this season and the second half of it, and especially into the postseason, the more it changes my thinking about what the Maple Leafs have to do with that position in the offseason. I agree with almost everything you're saying, except for the part where it changes my thinking. You said two words in there that I don't think I would ever say about Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending, and you're not saying it, but I don't think there's a vision, a scenario where I could even envision using the words totally comfortable. Mm. We, this is the conversation we've been having about goaltending so long as you and I have been doing this show, Ben, is that are between the pipes, is there one of the, again, pick your number. Maybe there's four. Maybe there's seven. Goalies in the NHL that you can just kind of set it and forget it and not worry about it. No matter what Joe Wall does the rest of the year, I'm not going to feel that way about him. Guess what? Joe Wall could go win a Conn Smythe trophy. Mm. I see where Jordan Binnington is right now. Mm. So the idea of totally comfortable, that just needs to be completely removed from the equation regarding goaltending for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but for 23 teams, 26 teams in this league, that's the way you need to look at it. So I, of course, in a, in a perfect world, you'd love a long track record. We get a good feel about wall, but you know, Say what you will about Samsonov and his lack of track record. He had a bigger one at the NHL level than what Joe Wall has this year, and we were ready to throw him away after winning a playoff series. So even if you see it from Wall in the playoffs, I still don't think it's enough to fully buy in or fully believe. Not to say you can't go into the next year with that guy as your starter, mm. but it's just the idea of total comfortability when it comes to goaltending in the NHL, unless you have... Ottinger, Shesterkin, Sorokin, mm -hmm. Hellybuck. Again, I'm, I don't want to offend anyone. You all know who the goalies are. Mm -hmm. Unless you have one of those guys, there is no such thing as totally comfortable. So There's not even such thing as comfortable. Okay, are, are you like close to comfortable if going into 2024-25, mm -hmm. your goaltending tandem is Joe Wall and a guy we just saw look pretty good against mm. Maple Leafs. Laurent Brossois, yeah, pending unrestricted free agent. Are you are you comfortable with that goalie tandem going into next season? Can, can I may I, may I ask a, a follow up? Yes. I know you asked the question, but I'm asking a follow up yes. to your question. What happened after the start of April? Because mm -hmm. Joe Wall lays an egg in the playoffs, and the Leafs are ready, and he's not. Yeah, we have to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Joe Wall shows up. Plays well. Leafs do what they've done all the other years in the past and lose in the first round. I'm not ready to throw him out just because he couldn't get this team over the hump. I think that there are just so many, you know, I would love to sit here and have the, okay, if this happens, if that happens. But there's not one or two 
hypotheticals for this Leafs goaltending situation. There are, it's like a spider web of, of hypotheticals. They're just going everywhere. So I would, I, I guess the simplest way I can answer that is if Joe Wall mm-hmm. is able to get enough games in the, or I shouldn't say enough games because that's the nebulous term as well. If he gets the bulk of the games in the playoffs and you feel that he gives you good enough to win or better goaltending, then you can go into next year with that as your tandem. But I think that there's just a million hurdles between now and there. Yeah. I mean, the possibility exists that he has a limited sample in the regular season, that he doesn't start uh, in the postseason. Maybe Ilya Samsonov looks great in the postseason, and we're not having ruling, conversations I, about bringing him back. I'm not ruling that out. I'm not. I want to be clear. Like, if you're asking me, we're going to do wake and rake later in the hour. If you're asking me to set the odds, I'm not setting them super, super short on that, but... I'm not ruling out the possibility. It's goaltending. We've seen it with both these guys. We've seen them lay eggs. We've seen them be great. So I I think that it is not an ideal position to be. The ideal position to be is to have one of those guys. But outside of that, having a couple of guys who have shown, albeit not in long, long term, but have shown the ability to be good enough to win, and a guy in Martin Jones, who if one of them gets hurt or throws up on himself, can at the very least be a warm body on the bench. I think that they're in a pretty, as good a spot as you can be in without having one of those, again, four, five, six, seven, mm-hmm. whatever the club is, number of guys. Okay, so we mentioned the home road splits dis- uh, discrepancy for this Leafs team, that they've they've actually been one of the better teams in the entire NHL on the road, and they've been one of the worst at home this season. Is it a blip? Is it? Is there something tangible to take out of it? You know, that was only their third one-goal regulation loss of the season yesterday to the New York Islanders. That hmm. loss dropped them in one-goal game, so this includes overtime games. In one-goal games, games decided by one goal, they are 12, now 3, and 8. So a lot of that is these. this team has played a ton of overtime games. But mm-hmm. three regulation losses... By one goal. So there's some games where they've given up empty netters. I get that. But yeah, it still puts them amongst the leaders in the NHL in one goal hockey games. Brent, is there anything to take away from the Leafs actually being pretty good in one goal hockey games this season? I don't think it's a hard and fast takeaway, but I do think that in a league where there's so much more parity and we're going to be looking for little things at the margins, I do think a team that is comfortable playing in super tight games that I don't want to overstate that these games feel like playoff games because last night did not. Mm -hmm. But when you're used to playing in one goal games or two goal games, that's typically speaking what Stanley Cup playoff games look like. And so the idea of that being anything other, I don't think it's proof positive that they're going to have success in those games, but how can you look at it as anything other than a positive that they have got themselves comfortable playing in, in that situation? You know, I'm going to do, do a rare, rare uh, Leafs-Baltimore Ravens parallel. Mm. Ravens were great until they trailed. They, they hadn't trailed in years, Liter- literal years. They just lost or they didn't trail. Those are the only two options for them in a game. And then they got punched in the mouth. They were trailing, and they didn't know what to do against the Chiefs in, in the second half of that game. Now, maybe Patrick Holmes, Pixie Dust Magic is involved in that as well. But how can you look at that and say that it's not a good thing for the Leafs that they've had this adversity? Would you like a few less? Sure, maybe a couple less. But it's good for them that they've been able to go through and get comfortable playing in these games. Yeah, it's it, you can't 
There's no negative spin on having a good record in one goal hockey game. Sure. Well, the negative would be the like the number that they're playing. Oh, I was going to say the, another another football comparison for you. It's like the turnover margin thing for the Viking or the one score game for the Vikings last year. There is some element of those things. Nah, but that's not okay. And that's the argument in baseball, right? That it's like, oh, well, you look at one one run games, and that's that's indicative of a team that has a really good. Bullpen. No, it's not. It's just like a random roll of the dice thing. No, in the NFL, you're right. Turnover margin, different deal. Mm -hmm. I think it's a. I think there is something to take away when it comes to the National Hockey League, and we need somebody who can dig into the numbers to give us the answer on this. But it does feel like if you got a good goaltender, and your goaltender is going to be relied upon, especially in six on five situations at the end of hockey games, yeah, that. And if you're a team that plays a defensive style of hockey game and you're playing in more one-goal games because there's only, like, three goals scored in a game, yep. yeah, that can be indicative of that. I think there is more to take away from a one-goal hockey stat than there is a one-run stat in Major League Baseball. And you're right to talk about the turnover margin thing. One-score yep. football games, which, yeah, the Minnesota Vikings will tell you, is it, it, that can change year over year. Well, and the other thing that I... I don't think we've touched on in this, but it's been a wide-ranging conversation, has been your your point about regular season magic. Like, there's something to that. And mm-hmm. I don't know that that's repeatable, but I I do think that it's it's not that because the Leafs have proven an ability to tie games late and send them to overtime and occasionally get the winner in overtime that they now know how to do that. But it's just the lack of panic. Again, it's the experience being in those moments of saying, all right, well, how many Sheldon Keefe can now go and you know, I don't think this is how it happens, but if he wants to, he could sit there in a big moment and go, This is we're looking for the whatever the number is, but the fourth, fifth, sixth goal this year with the tendee pulled. We're good at this. We can do this, guys. And it is amazing. Like, again, we think so much about X's and O's, but just having that internal belief and having actually done it, not in your career, not in the past. Mm-hmm. This year, this group of guys has done it. Again, I, 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 I'd I, love a few more 6-1 laughers. Would gladly take them. Mm-hmm. But there's not a downside to this. Yeah, it's funny to be talking about this after, yeah, a one-goal loss. Yeah. Uh, but again, only their third but they regulation were so, honestly, loss And the they were season. so comfortable. They were like, hey, Pierre Engel yeah. scored. What, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? I mean, God, look at the way they looked at 6-on-5 again. Like, it was... Uh, I, I was I was I was ready to text you of this team has magic. I was yeah. ready to do that. Yeah, well, and then it didn't because I didn't. No, uh, and they are losing those games in hand on uh, some of their closest pursuers. One of those is the Islanders. All right, it's a big day today for the Toronto Blue Jays uh, because they're going to arbitration with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Maybe like there's still time. So the Blue Jays are this file and trial team, which for the uninitiated means that. Once, this is an internal policy, there's no, nothing on the books about this, but they're a team that has uh, the belief that once numbers are exchanged between the player and the team, that they're going to an arbitration hearing unless it's a multi-year deal. So they could come to even a multi-year deal that doesn't interrupt Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s pending free agency in two years. That's what happened to Boba Shett. Like, there were numbers exchanged between the Blue Jays and Boba Shett season ago. It's not like... A huge difference between the two, but they were going to go to arbitration if they couldn't figure it out. They figured it out over a three-year deal. Bobichet covered for his entire arbitration-eligible years. Vladdy only has two of those remaining. Everything you hear is that it's it's unlikely for the, the two sides to come to an agreement on a two-year deal, 
And for reasons that may even exist outside of the Blue Jays and the player, like for Major League Baseball Players Association Mm -hmm. reasons and looking at the precedent-setting nature of the arbitration award that could be headed towards Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it's possible that he wants to go to arbitration. Mm -hmm. And there's like a pressure on him to take the Blue Jays to arbitration. So my thinking on this has come, it's evolved over the years. Okay. Because I am of the belief that like my 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 base nature is we're talking about professional athletes who get to play a child's game for a living but it's it's a it's a job for them and especially somebody that's been in baseball his whole life and seen him at you know the big o with his dad and, uh wearing that expos jersey like he knows the yeah, deal doffing, here doffing the helmet yeah yeah it's nothing personal it's hey we're, we're just going to go into a room and talk about numbers. No biggie. Keep telling yourself that. So, and I guess there's, you know, like one off. But Marcus Stroman got upset. But that's Marcus Stroman. Come on. Guy. I know we're very... talking baseball here, but we just had an Elias Hampsonoff conversation. I feel like that has to be lumped in here. Sure. I mean, we're talking about human beings. Yeah. Okay. We have recent track record for how this has impacted a Major League Baseball player of note. Corbin Burns is a former Cy Young Award winner. It's just 11 months ago that he went to arbitration with the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, he was asking for $10.75 million. The Brewers are like, mm, how's $10.01 million sound? Which is like, that's what are we talking about here? Like, obviously, for you and me, like, that's... It's a, 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 a house. Out, <laughs> that's an outrageous sum of money, right? $740,000, but for when we're talking about the range of under a million dollars for a guy that's going to make north of 10, probably not that important in the grand scheme of things. Well, they thought it was important. They took him to arbitration. A mm-hmm. couple of professional sides of the equation. Corbin Burns, he's a pro, been in Major League Baseball for close to a decade. Uh, his eyes were opened. Here is Corbin Burns talking about after the arbitration hearing in which he lost, he was he was paid $10.01 million a season ago after one year of arbitration for the Milwaukee Brewers. Here's how he reacted less than a year ago after losing his arbitration hearing. There's no denying that the relationship was definitely definitely hurt from um, you know what what perspired over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, there's there, there's really no way getting around that. Um, Obviously, we're, we're we're professionals, and we're going to go out there and, and do our job, and, and keep giving what I can every five, every fifth day that I go out there. But um, you know, when some of the things that are said that um, you know, for instance, basically basically put me in the forefront of, of the reason why we didn't make the postseason last year, that, that's something that probably doesn't need to be said. You know, we can go go about a hearing without having to do that. Um, so that's kind of one of those things that you know, obviously, you know, they, there was no attacking of, of character, of, you know, person of who I was, but. Um, just the, just the, some of the stuff that was said that you know definitely didn't need to be um, said is, is is something that you know I think kind of disappointed everyone. All right, here we are. Less than a year later, guess what? Corbin mm. Burns no longer remembers the Milwaukee Brewers. Shocker. Uh, he's a member of the Baltimore Orioles. I said to you when this first came down mm-hmm. that Vladdy and the Blue Jays were looked like they were headed to arbitration. I said if this thing gets to an arbitration room, the the future has been assured. And it's that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the Toronto Blue Jays will not be working together mm-hmm. beyond his years of team control. And whether that's a trade at the end of this that's season. That's it. Farewell and good luck. I don't I recall saying, saying good luck. Good luck. Yeah. 
I mean, that that tells you everything you need to know. And that's one individual player. Maybe Vladdy is slightly different here. I mean, you mentioned the Ilya Samson of it yeah. all, of it all, and and trying to gauge exactly what type of a a person yeah. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is. It does feel like he is susceptible to outside pressures, outside forces. Yep. The the Blue Jays are on the clock here. If they have any any desire to hold on to the player beyond the two years of team control and really if if you if you're uh a risk of losing the player at the end of two years is probably one more year or one and a half where you're trading him either in the offseason or at the deadline next season, then you need to you need to come to an agreement before you get into an arbitration room today. That I I, I can't I can't put my brain any other place than that. Yeah, it's hard to envision if I'm if I'm going to try to envision the other side of things. You know, again, I, I realize you bring up the Corbin Burns comparison, and that's a good one. But to keep it local, you know, what have we talked about with Samsonov is the financial impacts of this. And, you know, I can, uh, this isn't a Latrell Sprewell feed his family, but, like, the guy wants to be an NHL player. Vladdy doesn't have those worries. Like, say what you will about the down year and all that. The arbitration hearing isn't going to go so bad, and then the next year is going to go so bad that he is in... It, it, you know, worried about finding a job or if he can be one of the the 31st baseman in Major League Baseball. I think that's some of the different stakes here. But you mentioned what, then we go back to the Corbin Burns comparison of the team saying it's his fault or at least in part. So just if I'm going to advise the Blue Jays, do not put a picture of Vlad getting picked off at second well, but, on the Jumbotron in the arbitration. But do hearing. do that. If like you're taking him to arbitration, not because you're like, oh, well, if we don't really want to, you're not soft pedaling it. Either you're going to arbitration or you're not. And if you're going to arbitration, you're trying to win. And Brent, like, yeah, the, these things are so nebulous. Yeah. And there's been some great stories written about the process and how bizarre it is and how these people that that are, are ruling on these cases, yeah. maybe have limited understanding of what Major League Baseball well, that's is. The thing, that's the thing I can't quite wrap my head around because <laughs> I would have assumed if any sport would have been like, get your narrative arguments out of here in an arbitration hearing, mm -hmm. it would have been baseball. The idea of like, well, it's your fault we missed the playoffs. Oh, well, there's oh, actually no, 47. Like, it's pitcher wins no, no, they I, talk about? It's, it's wild. What happened? I thought this was the sport where nerds <laughs> ruled the day. Can we not get some guy from StatCast to do the arbitration rule? Like I feel mm. like that probably maybe go a little a little better. That's th that's I, God. What you'd give to be a fly right. uh, in the room? Uh, well, first of all, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Major League Baseball should be monetizing the pay per view version. You think of you think guys getting you think guys you think guys you've never heard of getting cut on hard knocks is good? Yeah. Imagine guys you have heard of being told by their boss they're no good. Okay, so who has a better <laughs> claim? If you're the if you're the team, who has a better claim? to a player costing them some wins in the standings. The Brewers with Corbin Burns, who you know, led the National League in strikeouts a season ago, like, posted more than 30 times. Or the Blue Jays, who got you know, a pretty middling performance out of their star first baseman. 189 games. But yeah, he was the face of disappointment in the postseason as well. And if yeah. you were going to point to one play, yeah. you'd point to, you know, the best hitter on the team being at the plate representing the go-ahead run and him representing the tying run on second base and getting picked off. Like, who, if you were going to make that case, and if that is something that is used in arbitration yeah. to win your case, who had a better case? The Brewers, who used it and won right. against Corbin Burns. Or the Blue Jays and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'm thinking the latter. Yeah, I guess I, I guess it would be. I here's the question I would have: is I wonder 
how much that's been a discussion of because yeah, you talk about the idea of being a file and trial team and there's no you know hard and fast rule it's just their policy I wonder how much that that's been an internal debate of how much about arbitration is getting the absolute best number possible versus how much about arbitration is trying to use this as a vehicle to get a deal done with the player because this is the thing with Vladdy is that you know, for for all the strides Bo has taken and become the face of the team and, you know, not to the team, I guess, but for, you know, people who actually watch the games, it's like that's the face of the team. Vladdy still represents this era. He's the guy on all the billboards. He's the guy on all the commercials. And I just wonder how ready they are to, I don't think, again, I don't think they're ready to cut bait in the sense of just get out of here, be gone. But if it's not a long-term deal, it almost has to be a trade. This is what we've talked about forever. And I just think that when it's a guy like Vladdy, and again, Bo's the better player. Bo's the most valuable player. But those aren't, it's a different conversation. And I don't think they're thinking of trading Bo at this point in time, but it's a different conversation. That's much more of a just baseball conversation. Trading Vlad is the business of the Blue Jays. And that's mm-hmm. why it's just such a much bigger picture thing. I would love to have the the stats on jersey sales for the Blue Jays, but I would I would bet that there's more Guerrero Jr. jerseys than there are Bichette jerseys. Like, there's lots of Bichette jerseys, yep. but yeah. I usually Jr. use I usually use the my mom test, but I'm going to use the my kid test, who's mm-hmm. like three and barely knows anything. It's like I would think Bo's hair would would do something for him, but no, he only mm-hmm. knows Vlad. Like it's just he's that guy for so many people. Also, the Blue Jays know that this can go off the rails. That this is important. It's the reason why they felt they needed to keep Bo Bichette out of an arbitration courtroom a season yep. ago, and no doubt. They're grinding, trying to figure out with Vlo, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And the, the other part of the, the Car- Corbin Burns media availability from a, a year ago, you know, like a wide-ranging five-minute interview that he did, he talked about, hey, the, the Brewers didn't seem all that interested in like coming to an agreement before the arbitration hearing. Like They wanted to go to a hearing. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be surprised if that's the case with the Blue Jays, especially considering, again, a year ago, they said, yeah, we'll go to a hearing if it, if that's what it comes to, Bo, because we can't be seen as the team that just, you know, acquiesces. That's that's bad precedent setting. But, yeah, we'd sure as hell like to keep this relationship on the up and up. And luckily for them and the player, they were able to do that a season ago. We'll see, man. If this thing sees the inside of a, of a courtroom... I, I I just I cannot imagine Vladimir Guerrero Jr. being a Blue Jay beyond two years from now. And honestly, it's hard to hard for me to imagine, unless Blue Jays you know win a World Series this year, that he's a Blue Jay beyond this season. Yep. Uh, just a couple of quick things from me. Uh, a little little quick googling. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. fifteenth highest sale sold jersey in baseball. No other Blue Jay among the top twenty. So not uh, not surprising there. And if we can't see the arbitration hearing, can I at least get one of those like sick Taiwanese? animation videos yeah it's like ross atkins aggressively pressing the projector button to mm. put the picture of vlad jr getting picked off at second on the screen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that'd be good i people on the internet you're creative out there i'm not well i am creative i thought of that wonderful idea you go execute it yeah you're just the idea man that's all i am i'm don draper you, pff, get me an artist in here draw something up i've got an idea though and i'm gonna pitch it i got an idea mm. Why don't we talk to Jason Bukala? In. Great idea. All right. We're going to talk to the Sportsnet Hockey Analyst next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Sports Now 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs losers in regulation to the New York Islanders who take all three matchups between the two this season. A couple of those in overtime. That went in regulation. Leafs only third loss in regulation of one goal or fewer. You can't have fewer than one goal, but of, let's just say one goal. Nope. Can't. Doesn't um, although I guess losing in a shootout is fewer than one goal. That's not a goal. Yeah. It's like they put a goal up there. It doesn't count. It's not a goal. It's true. Uh, you know how many games Matthew Nyes played last season? Mm-mm. The University of Minnesota? He played 40. Oh. Uh, he has now played 46 this season for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He looked like a man possessed yesterday mm-hmm. after Spry. some time off, as did John Tavares. Let's talk to uh, Jason Bukla, Sportsnet Hockey Analyst. How's it going, Jason? Good morning, fellas. I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, we, we mentioned a couple of guys. Well, one, they're, they're different circumstances, obviously. One guy is like almost 35. The other guy is a college player who's getting his first kick of the can uh, at an 82-game season. Like, how how real is that that wall that may have been showing up for Matthew Nyes before the, the bye week and the All-Star break? It's real. You know, I, you know these, these guys that come out of school who are used to playing and getting amped up, by the way, to play two games a week um, at the college level. Um, you know, like when I was, uh, you know, working in Florida, especially, and our guys would go on the road to watch college guys, I'd always say to them, you know, make sure you stay for both, both nights because they're so amped up to play the first night. Let's see what they have left in the tank in the second night. You know, they're just so, uh, they've been waiting, you know, they've been excitedly waiting. So when you get to the pro level and, you know, there's no days off and there's very little practice and, you know, you're seeing all these ranks for the first time traveling as much as they travel, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the reset's good. You know, I thought that, uh, especially last night, more so, I was, I'm more, I was more concerned about, not concerned, I was more interested to see Tavares last night, and I thought he had much more spring in his step, obviously, which was good. Um, but, yeah, no, that college that college thing hitting the wall, it's different for every athlete, but when you're a power guy um, or you play with a little bit of power, that, that's a real thing. Yeah, and I mean, you've you've kind of seen it with Nyes, right? Like, he's able to have these little bursts and fits. Like, we think back to the Pittsburgh game where he gets the Gordie Howe hat trick. And, you know, we even remember him first coming in, and he was kind of a man possessed. And, you know, it's it's all part and parcel of a, a young player in this league kind of, you know, figuring out how much to, to push on the throttle. Uh, in terms of Tavares, he's got a pretty good handle on that. You know, you mentioned there he had a little more spring in his step. I, I certainly thought I saw that as well. But, it, and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make this a blanket statement about the Islanders. Obviously, they got some guys who can fly in your your Barzals of the world, but it's also not lost on me that when Tavares plays a little more deliberate or a little more plotting of a team like the Isles, it feels like he's able to have more success. And then you you know you wind up in a game against the Oilers or one of these more track meaty teams. It just feels like Tavares his his ability to be effective isn't I don't want to say completely dictated by it, but it's dictated by the type of opponent he's playing. If it's a kind of slower, more methodical team, he's great. And if it's not, those are the nights he tends to struggle. At least that's what I see. What do you make of that, Jason? I think that's a fair statement, and I don't think he's alone there. You know, I think that you look at the Giordanos of the world, you know, even T.J. Brody this this year, you know, the way that he's played the game. But, but specifically with Tavares, I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, when they get into games where it's a track meet against, you know, like you said, the Edmontons, the Colorados, um, you know, even, even teams like Florida who track but play heavy, um, you know, it definitely – it definitely can expose that part of, of, of Tavares's game. When, when you have a game the way it was last night, although, you know, like I said, I'm giving him credit for what it was. It was the first game back. I did think he had more spring in his step. I thought that he got through the areas. 
that he's got to get to to be effective, right? You know, they go front the net. He's obviously got a great stick to tip pucks and stuff, but he was getting to areas last night. But you're absolutely right. Like, the Islanders, you know, that's not really the team that you want to uh, necessarily get. Uh, you don't want to gauge it so much because it was the Islanders. You know, they don't, they don't play that way. Um, they dummy down the game, generally speaking. So you're right. I mean, it's perspective is, is required for sure. So we mentioned a couple of weird statistics for this Toronto Maple Leaf uh, team when it comes to the standings. One is like the home road split, where they're actually like a top 10 team in road record, but a bottom 10 team in home record. Also in one goal games, I mean, that was just their third regulation loss of of one goal. They, they've actually been pretty good when, when the games have been tight. Now, a lot of those have been loser points, like they've gone to overtime a lot. Uh, so that, So that's part of it. But Internally, how do you think the Maple Leafs are evaluating those two stats? Do they look at the home road thing? Is there something to be gleaned from that? And and the one goal game thing too is 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 there somebody with a big brain in the Maple Leafs front office looking at those stats and saying, oh, here's here's why that's happening, and and here's how we can change it. There's somebody trying to figure it out, um, but you know, human nature being what it is, I mean, it's going to be difficult to do it. It's. The way I look at it, guys, is the body of work, whether it be home or away. Um, you know, every day when I evaluate this group, uh, you know, there's something that stands out either really positive or on the flip side for a segment that's like really obscenely negative. You know, like Bertuzzi's got, you know, two assists in his last 10 games, or Domi's only got one and one. And you start to look through their secondary scoring and so, you know, the whole home and away thing, there was a time in this league that I got a little bit, I mean, it's good to know that you can win games on the road or, or you know, keep games close on the road, for example, um, you know, or keep games close overall. But when, you, when you're trying to position yourself as a team that's going to contend or go to another level, we need, we need more results on home ice for sure, but we need less of those one goal type of keeping every team in the league in a game type of scenario. So, there's a lot of moving parts and there's, you got to really peel back the onion a lot with this group. And, um, you know, what can I say that, uh, you know, it's one week I, I got a, a bunch of positives, but I, I never get all of the positives in the melting pot together for a consistent period of time right now, like a 10 game segment with this group. So they're a little bit per- perplexing on, on any given week, really. Okay. So I, I realize by asking you this question, if you had the answer, you'd be telling the Leafs right now and they'd be paying you <laughs> handsomely for it. But what do you think that is? I mean, we've talked about this with this Leafs team for a couple of seasons now, that when the goaltending's going, the forwards maybe aren't. And when the top six is going, you can't get a lick of the bottom six. And when you finally find some identity, that's when your stars, your power play go, goes dormant. I mean, I think a lot of people immediately, I mean, you, you got to look to one of two places. It's the players or it, it's the coach. You know, I just wonder why that is. Is it something about the group? I mean, obviously no one expects this team to do what the Oilers are doing right now and rip off 16 straight and who's, we'll see what happens tonight against against Vegas but what do you think it is that's that's led to the it's not so much an overall lack of consistency but it's it's a you know a, cons, a lack of consistency in terms of what you're going to get group to group each night I you know what I've I've tried to really break it down in my mind and think about it too and the, the only thing I can really come up with is that there's a certain um like with the Boston Bruins, there's a certain expectation. There's a culture there that when you walk into that room, like they lose key players. Like when, when their captain goes out the door and retires last year, uh, like Bergeron goes out and, and you look at their record, they're 31, nine and nine. The, the next man up mentality there is like, 
you know, yeah, we're going to have, you know, uh, nights off or nights that we're not, uh, I'm not, I have a night that I'm not at my best, you know, but I'm not going to let that be two nights, three nights, four nights, five nights. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to be a continuation. And I find, I, I find like with the, with Toronto, that certain players, you know, even Nylander right now, he's on a 10 gamer where he's got two goals and three assists, which on balance doesn't sound horrible, but we know that what he was doing before. Right. So, I don't know how we can string together three, four, five games in a row that are that are below standard. And to me, that speaks to culture. To me, that speaks to urgency. Um, and I can't I, I can't think of it any other way. And and that's 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 kind of where I'm at with it. You know, like yeah. I can't. That's that's the bottom line. Yeah, and Nylander has six shots yesterday, and there, yeah, had a little more juice to his game yesterday. But yeah, and does have the the point ends the pointless route. Uh, a brief one for him, but he's not looked like the same guy since signing the contract. And I don't know if that's just fan conversations. Like, do you think they're having a conversation about that? That it's 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 pretty interesting that immediately upon signing a ninety-two million dollar extension, William Nylander doesn't look like the same guy. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think they're necessarily having the conversation, but uh, it, it's it's out there. Like, it's you know, they're aware of it. I mean, Tavares and, and Nylander, um, and I don't want to you know, completely be that, that guy. And I, it's, it's the first game back off the all-star break, which is always a trap game for me. Anyways, we need to get going again, but they're minus 12 guys uh, in their last 10 games combined, those two guys. And so when we start going, you know, that, that if the first line's going and they got this, then the second line, you know, that underbelly, we need Nylander to um, maintain the confidence of not only the organization, but the fan base, it's fair. Like people pay, stupid money to go watch astronomy please plays. So, so when they see a guy sign that kind of contract and then they see the results right, right after following, I think that's a fair um, assessment or expectation. Yeah, I, I, I would think so as well. Uh, one non-Leafs one, although, hey, feel free to make it about the Leafs uh, if you'd like. There's been some talk about the goaltender market and, you know, I think Samsonov coming back and finding his footing to, you know, whatever degree you, you believe in that and Joe Wall inching towards a return uh, means the Leafs likely aren't shopping there. But, you know, let's say it's a, it's a Markstrom moved or, you know, I don't think Saros is on the move, but do you think, you know, a goaltender of Markstrom's caliber going to, you know, just spitballing a team like the Devils who haven't able to get a save there do you think or i won't say would that change it obviously it would to a certain extent but how much do you think that would change it because that's the team i've kind of had circled there of the devils if you know we talk about the leafs needing a save if they could get one uh, we're having a pretty oh. different conversation about them this year 100 percent. i mean I, i've got them circled for sure i mean you know marky's got a full no move clause but uh, if they could ever make that move uh, new jersey that is i mean i would throw carolina in that mix too you know their goaltending has yep. been pretty pedestrian this year and you know freddie might not be quite healthy enough to get back now so i would throw the, you know them in the mix too and i you know i'm doing this off the top of my head but i think they got about 6 million uh in cap space to work with there too so they could actually afford it straight up um you know, it's going to take a certain type of market, but uh, if the Devils are, are shopping in, in those waters, watch out for New Jersey because uh, that team's a sleeper kind of hanging around that 10-11 slot in the Eastern Conference, but they need goaltending. They need saves. You can't win at any You can't win any night in this league. We saw it for a little bit there with Samson, or Samsonov, you know, struggling. You need saves, and uh, Jones came in and did a nice job for a short period of time, but he kind of ran out of gas a bit. Um Guys, like uh, that's that's a big name to watch, Marky. Uh, there, term left on the deal, mm-hmm. but that's that's the target for sure. 
Yeah, when you're a Devils team, the the the, the need is obvious. Um, yeah, that's one thing. When you're the Maple Leafs, and there's there's more than a few holes. Maybe not necessarily goaltending, and maybe they won't be shopping in the goaltending market. But yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how quickly Joseph Wall does come back and how comfortable you are with Martin Jones. Although and he looked pretty good for a time uh, until he ran out of gas, seemingly uh, before the All Star break. Uh, Tavares' theory, though, think about how long he's been sitting there. He's that's, gonna be great when he gets back in. That's a great, great point. I mean, when you th- when you I, you hear the stuff that's bandied about around this team when it comes to what their plan might be at the at the trade deadline, Jason. Does it make sense to you that they might? I don't know if Stan Pat is is where they're going to end up because they they do have the cap space as a result of the John Klingberg LTIR thing, but like not too much. Does that make sense to you considering what you've seen on the ice here for now the more than half a season? Oh, 100%. It's it's about asset management for me and it's about the timing. I think the group needs a reset. We didn't get enough out of Bertuzzi and uh, and Domi so far anyways. And I you know, they're going to be a playoff team. I still believe they're going to be a playoff team and we saw Florida you know, do what they did last year. You know, that, that theme of get in and you never know. I understand that. But, you know, because there's not enough consistency, guys, from one week to the next that I can identify, okay, we need this or we need that. You know, when I, when I can't identify my exact need, you know, one week it's like defenseman and then now it's like secondary scoring or maybe it's a goal. You know, it's like, it's like a, you know, throwing darts at a dartboard. But below that, I don't have the assets, fellas. I just don't. I don't have the draft capital. I don't have the prospects. It's, you know, I know Leaf fans don't want to hear it because they want us to win now. They want them, they want this group, you know, especially with that core four. But for me personally, a reset's required. Um, there's not enough assets to spend. I, I'd, uh, I'd be kitty by the door and just, uh, just take on this group for what it is for now. Hold yeah. on, hold on. Let me throw this at you. I feel like I've asked you about this, but just you saying this. Now, I want to be clear. This isn't a scenario I want, but it's one I am envisioning. We've seen this Leafs team in the past been a salary holder of, you know, a Robin Laner trade. Could you see a world where that's what Trilliving kind of does with the cap space he has, where he's a, you know, a, a placeholder team where he eats some cap space and that's how he monetizes the space he has available? Because, you know, I understand not spending assets if you don't feel like you have them or you don't feel like this is the year. But if you just let the cap space go completely awry, that does feel like a missed opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I think you're onto something there too. And I think that's part of the strategy. So, you know, uh, that's in that, that is, so that's up on the board. So if you, if you have all your assets up on the board, you got your team, you're analyzing and you got cash space, you want to maximize whatever strategic value there is available on that board. And if that's cap space, you know, to, you know, uh, park a contract or whatever the case may be to pick up an extra second or third round pick that we don't have, by the way, on our draft board, um, you know, that's a little rich, a second or third, but, you know, maybe Robertson goes out the door and they park some money. Like there's a lot of scenarios that you can come up with, mm-hmm. but yeah, absolutely. You have to maximize every one of those categories in your strategy. What I'm saying just straight up in terms of adding a player or trying to park a contract through Chicago to come to Toronto because of money, you know what I mean? Like all those moving parts, yep. that, that, that timing's not right for me. Uh, we shall see Jason. Uh, always a pleasure. Thanks, man. Awesome, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for doing it. Jason uh, Bukla, Sportsnet hockey analyst. They have to do something. Here's what I'll say. They mm-hmm. have to do something. Now, part of it is the you look at the available assets now that Lindholm's off the books and to a lesser extent, Sean Monaghan. Yep. And yeah, Chris Tanev, he would fill a void, but you're not giving up a first-round pick for a God guy no. that's about to be 35 years old who, God. you know, if he wants to be a Maple Leaf next season, you can get him for free. Yeah. And, you know... Maybe it's not the same player, but 
you can get Ilya Labushkin for a fraction of the price, I mm-hmm. would think. So do that. Like, if this team does nothing, I get it. You, the, the assets that you have to trade are limited, and you're not, you know, you're not giving away an Easton Cowan or, to yep. a lesser degree, a Fraser Minton, considering the guys that are available. But that's mm-hmm. it. It's the guys that are available. There are there are players that can help you. There's no Ryan O'Reilly. There's no Con Smythe winner sitting out there that you can have in trade. No. But there are players that can help. You can't just be this team that's like the bank. You're like in Monopoly. You're the guy sitting there with the money and you exchange the, the, the you take a percentage because yeah. you change the money. Like, no, that's not, you have to do something. Like mm-hmm. the idea that they, they can stand pat entirely. The, the fact that we've all been primed for that possibility is insane. I get it. It's not a perfect team. Yep. Haven't been perfect teams that have gone on deep postseason runs. The Panthers... They made the playoffs on the last day of the regular season last year, made it all the way to the final, right? Mm-hmm. On the strength of some incredible goaltending and everybody coming together in the postseason. And yes, 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 yes. I, totally different circumstances. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. But this is, you still have Austin Matthews in his prime, mm-hmm. still on a 70-goal pace. Yes. You still have William Nylander. Like, John Tavares, you think he's diminished this year. What's he going to be next year? And he's still making 11 million bucks. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's The route for it being easier next year is not obvious. No, you have to add something, whether that's just one depth defenseman. Like, the the idea that they can just go through the deadline doing absolutely nothing or being this team that acquires, you know, a fifth-round pick from somebody mm-hmm. for holding on to some salaries insane to me. I agree. I just, I'm preparing you all for the very real possibility of that happening. And I, I'm with you. Like, Labushkin... That's my guy. That's the one I've been bandying about. Sure. Like, no, I'm not like I'm not mad that you stole him from me. I'm just saying, like, I'm very much on board for that exact thought process there. But I also think it's very possible that that guy becomes second round pick expensive, third round pick expensive, and then that's not where Tree wants to shop. I think that's just as likely. Wouldn't do it if it was me, but I think that's what what we could be gearing up for. It's just insane that everyone's just going to take that line down. That this this Leafs team, I get it. Like standings wise, it makes sense and. Sure, we all watch the games. We get it. Well, I told you. It's also, I think there's a lot of people who they've they've fought in the Civil War of Leafs GMs for the last decade, and they're trying to hold their powder dry. It's like, let's have a little kumbaya. I think that's also why people are taking it lying down to a certain extent. We'll see. We'll see what that conversation is. If, yeah, they do nothing at the deadline, they bow out meekly in the postseason yet again, and then he has to fire his head coach. And then in year two, Brad for living very much under the gun. Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. How do you like a 17-game winning streak? That would certainly change the perspective for Leaf fans, I think. Leafs also went on a 16-game run like the Oilers are on, trying to make it 17, a record tonight in Vegas against the Golden Knights. Lots going on in Vegas these days. Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. Uh, This game's on Sportsnet at 10 o'clock, and it is the Oilers... Favored against the champs in their first game of the second half. Minus 133, the Golden Knights plus 110. The total is six, Brent. I'm going to take the under. Crazy to say, I know, but that's how the Oilers have done it. Playing good defense. Golden Knights love to lock it down as well. Everything about this would be, ah, they're going to be playing fast and loose, but the Oils have the Oil have too much to play for in this game with the streak on the line. So I think it's going to be another lockdown affair. I The line is set at six, but you take the under, you get it at plus 100 there. I'm taking the under. Oh, yeah. I love, love, love the under in this game. Aiden Hill, what is it, lead the NHL in save percentage? Yep. Like, no, these are a couple of great goaltenders playing uh, really well this season. If I was going to 
lean money line. Like, eventually, the Oilers are going to lose a hockey game, you would think. Yeah. Why wouldn't this be it? It's not a huge number, but yeah, I like plus 110 to take the Golden Knights to end the streak tonight. And that was the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back, what was Damian Cox's favorite uh, memory of Pierre Engvall? I thought you were going to say what was his favorite part of All-Star Weekend. Oh, well, there's that too. Like, I mean, it's like, who would who would have less to say about what? Damo about that or uh, when we asked Bukla for his big board for, mm. for the draft last Thursday and he said no. Uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll find out from uh, Damien uh, a couple of things. Yeah. All-Star Weekend uh, reminiscing and Pierre Engvall uh, memories. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.